In today's episode of Launch AMA, we chat with Lloyd Lobel, a serial entrepreneur who co-founded Boast.ai and Traction Conference. His energy is clearly infectious throughout the whole episode, and he spills all on how he was able to build a world-class network of startup experts from cold emails, hustle, and tenacity. Let's get to it. Let's get started. Uh, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, everybody, wherever you're tuning in from. This is Sam here, and we're back with another episode of Launch AMA. Uh, we've kind of already started, and I think, I think Samson, you're probably going to want to clip some of that earlier stuff that we were just talking about. Uh, but I'm joined today by Lloyd Lobel, uh, co-founder of Boast.ai, co-founder of Traction Conf. Uh, welcome, Lloyd. Thank you for having me. Big fan of Launch Academy. It's a second family for me. Ray Walia, the CEO of Launch Academy, one of my best friends. We actually just made a trip to Dubai together and returned doing a trade mission there for Launch Academy. So yeah, excited piece. to share in one Ish. piece. He may be missing <laughs> a few, but uh, <laughs> mostly in one piece. All right. So so those tuning in live, just some housekeeping rules. If you guys have questions, don't be shy. Just pump them in the Q&A, pump them in chat. And then Lloyd and I are just going to kind of chat for the next hour. Um, and we'll, we'll definitely get to your questions. This is a chance for you guys to ask him anything, his journey as an entrepreneur. If you have specific questions, you want to pitch him. I mean, we'll, we'll do a live pitch if it's relevant. <laughs> um, we'll see how that goes. But just for those that don't know, you're meeting you for the first time, Lloyd, why don't you just introduce a little bit about yourself um, and your background as an entrepreneur? Definitely. So Lloyd Lobo, uh, co-founder of Boast AI and Traction, as Sam mentioned, I grew up to an Indian family in Kuwait, of all the places. I was a refugee of the Gulf War in the 90s. I was maybe 9 or 10. It's funny because um, I used to study for exams last minute. I must have been in grade 4 or 5. And um, uh, I studied for an exam thinking it was math, show up, it's geography. And I'm like, oh, man, I'm not going to make the next grade. And then summer hits. My mom tells me, hey, there's a war broken out in Kuwait. And my first emotion was, oh, my parents are never going to find out I failed the exam and, and didn't pass the grade. But then when it sank in, I realized like your currency is invalid. Um, there's no security. There's no certainty. There were no phones back then. But, you know, it was a great example of how a community came together to rescue and evacuate the people of that war. And much is happening similar in, in Ukraine right now is like the community as a whole is coming together. And, and that was my thesis for building community, right? Every company I've been a part of, we've built communities. And, and uh, I realized that you got to fall in love with the people, with your tribe and make them successful, whether beyond your product or service. And you know, if, if, it's, if you build a community, you won't become a commodity. And so the journey I moved a few years later, moved to Canada, did engineering in Canada. My girlfriend, my wife, was in university in the U.S. studying medicine, so I followed her. I uh, work in product at a startup, and you know, when you're working in product at a startup, you're forced to learn a little bit of everything because it's a small startup. So it's not like we had a growth team. So I I, I learned SEO, SEM, and back then. Uh, there was no digital marketing, 2006, seven, really, right? And so everything I learned about marketing as an engineer was from HubSpot. They had an inbound marketing certification. So I used to learn like SEO, SEM, email marketing, learn all of that. And then my wife got residency, moved to Philly, and uh, I worked in, in growth at another venture-backed company. And both these venture-backed companies, they actually failed. When it's, I mean, an acquisition is not always an acquisition or a success if 
the founders, the executives, the VCs don't make money, right? And then I begged my wife to move to California. I'm like, I can't stay on the East Coast. There's no tech scene here. I begged her and she didn't want to move because her family was on the East Coast. And uh, we had a lot of fights, arguments. And she's like, fine, I'm going to apply to one university. If I get in, we're going. And she's like, by the way, it's Stanford and they don't take anyone. But she got in and then 10 years and three startups, three more startups in the Bay Area. And uh, it's been a, it, was a, it was a great journey. And so, you know, the journey to Boast was my co-founder, Alex, and I had went to university together. And after engineering, he'd gone into Johnson & Johnson's engineering leadership program, built software there. He did a startup. That startup failed. And he felt he needed to study accounting. And so he went and studied accounting and finance. And his unique combo of engineering and accounting took him into the government funding R&D tax credit world, right? Globally, there's trillions of dollars in government funding given to support businesses, but it's a cumbersome application process. You got to like go through like a proctology exam to figure out what work qualifies and whatnot. Um, it's prone to frustrating audits and it takes a long time to get the money. So he called me and he said, um, you know, let's do a company in this. Now, my boss previous to Boast was a bit of a, I would say dick, right? I, for lack of a better word. Um, I, I, you know, there was this hustle porn culture in startups where you grind everyone and you squeeze every drop till the last ounce and you burn people out, right? Um, yeah. and, and, you know, you're changing directions all the time. And I used to be in the office till eight, nine o'clock. And one day I started going home at six and he calls me and he said, I used to love it when you used to be in the office till eight, nine o'clock. Your wife is a resident in ER, so she's working 100 hours. What's causing you to go home this week? I'm like, my parents were in town that week, right? And that's why I was going home at six, so I could spend time with them. And my parents live in Toronto. So when Alex called me that evening, I nearly cried. I'm like, dude, I don't care what company we build. We can build a bunch of things. But if I can build a company that I want to work for, I'm in. And that is empathy and that is charity and that is teamwork and that is passion and that is integrity you know empathy uh, i truly truly believe that the biggest companies of the future will be built on a culture of empathy and love and community and if you look at it right um going back decades one of the biggest examples of community is harley davidson the company almost went bankrupt in the 80s and they re-transformed and became a multi-billion dollar company under the ethos of community and so there the journey started. Alex and I did automatically, which was a chatbot built on top of Zendesk. That failed. Um, we did traction, of course, with Ray. And uh, traction has become now a big, it's gone, it's gone beyond just the conference in Vancouver to a global community. We've got 110,000 subscribers. Every week when I, when I do the two webinars a week, we get people tuning in all the way from Dubai to Tel Aviv to Germany to San Francisco and Vancouver. And, uh, and so now with Traction, we're doing two webinars a week, two podcasts a week. We're going to bring up our meetups in different cities. We're doing conferences. We might do retreats. So it's become a big, big global uh, community. But, you know, they were all built on failures, right? So we did automatically, which was a chatbot built on top of Zendesk. That failed. We did a, uh, we started a conference called Cloud Factory. And the co-founder in that ran off with all the money and locked us out of their accounts, our accounts. And so we had brought in all these awesome speakers and I was dejected. I'm like, I never want to do community events again. But then I met Ray and we, we hit it off really well. Ray came, stayed at my house in the Bay Area. He helped 
us build a pergola and we build this good relationship. And so, you know, we, we rebranded Cloud Factory to Traction because we already had the speaker brand. We already had a bit of a list going. Launch Academy already had a list going. So we combined our networks to build this massive community. Um, and then in, I also did a company called Speakeasy, which was funded by Bessemer and Salesforce. It was a AI for sales that also failed. And so after those couple of failures, my key learning was that customers want an outcome. They don't want software. They want an outcome. Your job as a founder is to get them that outcome by any means possible. Startups are built in phases and stages. They're not built like in one go, right? So your job, number one, let's say you're doing a B2B startup, is to validate the market. What is validation if you're a B2B SaaS company? It's getting five, 10 customers paying you to try it out. That's it. They want to get a job done. They're going to try you out. Next phase is, and that's when you can raise a seed round. Next phase is product market fit. What does product market fit mean? High retention. People wanted, people came to try you out to get a job done. Now, anytime they want to get that job done, they keep coming back to you. So high, high retention, aspiring for 90, 100% retention. No other focus. That's it. As a founder, you're, you're doing your own outreach. You're leveraging your network. You're doing unscalable things to get customers. Then the next phase, and, and, and when you have product market fit, you can raise your head. The next phase is product channel fit. You figure out one repeatable, scalable channel, whether it's SDR for sales or events or BD or partnerships, integrations. There's hundreds of things. And then you can raise your Series B. That'll take you to like two, three million. And then you get to a stage of scale where you've, you, know, you have high retention, high net revenue retention over 100% ideally, you figured out one scalable, repeatable channel where you can put fuel on it and keep growing. Now you're at a point of scale where you spend 75% of your time sort of growing into that large TAM, scaling what you've nailed, and then you spend 25% of your time trying new things, and it goes through that same phase, validation, product market fit, product channel fit, scale, boom. And that's, that's the cycle. But I hadn't known that, right? So when we built automatically and, and speakeasy, it was a year of Slack, years of Slack-like growth. And so our first instinct was you build an MVP and you get tens of thousands of people to, to sign up for it. And it's so bad when you do that because the thing is your product's not perfect. And you get all these complaints at scale. You dejects your engineering team, dejects you as a founder, and things break. And, and both those companies, we shuttered. And so the realizations from there were two, twofold. One, customers are looking for an outcome. They're not looking for software. Your job is to get that by any means possible. And, and this realization of startups are built in stages and phases. And so, you know, don't invest in growth till you don't have one ideal customer profile. Right? And if you look at DigitalOcean, one ideal customer profile at 500 million, they're like growing at 40%, 500 million in revenue. One ideal customer and that customer doesn't keep coming back to your product over and over again. So at Boast, we did things that didn't scale. We took customers, we did the work manually, um, we built community. So we had an audience building while we're building the product. And that ultimately enabled us to bootstrap the company to 10 million ARR. We raised 10 million Canadian or 7 million USD and, and we raised money after that. Now, the, as a function of building this big community, we met our investors also through there, right? You built this cloud with investors, with press, with, with everyone. And I'll unpack some of this framework as we go along. But that enabled us to raise money and at a good valuation, but we bootstrapped. And, and you know, I think um, every success or, or moderate achievement is built on a lot of failures. It's a lot to unpack. So, so just as a reminder, as, as, as uh, Lloyd's going through this, 
just feel free to fire away any questions, any of the topics that, that Lloyd's mentioning over here. Um, there's a bunch of them in the Q&A and, and we can kind of go through all that. I think one of the reasons that we had brought him on was because he has a unique experience, both, both building product, but also um, in, as a marketer as well. So. Yeah, definitely. I, I, I think, uh, you know, the unique experience is not really building product or building marketer, being a marketer, but it's like being a creator, right? When you're a creator and you have no budget, you're forced to do things with less, do more with less, and you're forced to learn. And, you know, I've got this like really bad habit and it's probably a function of um, <laughs> my childhood or whatever, you know, forced to do everything yourself is I can't outsource something to anybody unless I have somewhat done it myself. And that is, maybe that's bad advice. It's, it's really bad advice at scale, right? When you're like at scale, you don't want to do that. You want to bring specialists and you want to hire and rely on people experts. But when you're starting out and you're trying to validate it, what are you going to go and hire an SEO expert? You don't even know that channel is going to work for you. What are you going to do? Go and hire an ads expert? You don't know. You got to learn a bunch of things, right? And what are you testing early on? You're testing out nothing else. You're not testing out growth channels when you're starting out at the validation phase. All you're testing out is, does my message resonate with this person? And is this person willing to try it out? Now, if you're not focused at that stage and also start to do like channels and growth and website and all this marketing, you're going to put all this effort during the validation phase but then you realize nobody wants it and now you wasted a bunch of money, right? So you got to focus on the stage phase specific thing. And so it just came from hard learnings. As a founder, you got to do a bunch of different things, learn and whatnot. So I, I would say like I'm a Swiss army knife. I'm a, a jack of all, master of none. And when, when a company gets to a few million in revenue, then I got to bring in like the experts. Yeah, so, so talk, talk to me about that. I, I guess I want to dive a little bit more into the, the early days. Like you talked about, like you were learning SEO on the fly and different things like that as, and kind of teaching yourself. Like, I, I guess the, the key question I want to talk about is just decision-making. Like, when do you get to a point where you're like, I'm good at this or I'm bad at this. I want to continue it. I want to grow it. And when do you call in help? Yeah, so definitely. So, you know, the one thing I, I tell people who ask me for advice, and, and maybe this is bad advice, but. I, I believe, truly believe that when passion meets profession, you can become Michael Jackson or Michael Jordan. That means like, you know, it's easy to observe what you really like. It's the stuff you go and you'll do it. You'll do it for free. You'll do it after hours. You'll, you'll do it in your sleep. You'll just do it. But there's stuff that you procrastinate. Like no matter what anyone tells you to do, you procrastinate. So those are the things eventually when you have resources, you got to outsource and you got to keep doing stuff that you love. And then you, you, the way to scale the things that you love is you sort of abstract yourself from it. You hire people underneath you and you create the playbooks and you write it so they can execute it and make it better. And then you, you, you lead that effort. If you do things that you hate and you procrastinate, you'll, you'll, uh, you'll never be good at it, right? Like I hate, so I'll tell you, I hate reading and I hate writing. Very simple. but what is my hack to overcome it? I love talking to people, building relationships. So over the last three years, I've interviewed more than 300 entrepreneurs on the Traction webinar, podcast, et cetera, right? Two webinars a week. And that's my hack. So I, I don't hate learning. I love to learn. I just can't read a whole book to get the knowledge I need just in time. 
and I can't sit through like a day of conferences. So that's that's my hack. Writing the same thing. I narrate to to audio, and then I use something like Otter to transcribe it, and then you know you can turn it in a blog post. So there are hacks that you sort of um, sort of develop, right? So for me, it's like as a founder, your one job when you start out, I have an idea. What is your one job? I need to validate this idea. So where do you start? You need to figure out who the ideal customer profile is, right? And maybe it's not clear to you in the beginning. You need to figure out the TAM, the ideal customer profile. And, and you need to put that on an Excel sheet. Do everything on a, uh, on, a, on a Google spreadsheet or in a CRM, but put that down. Then figure out, okay, how many contacts can I get in each of them? So I'll give you a perfect example with automatically, we said, oh, we're going to target customer service agents at uh, large enterprises. Now, there's two kinds of large enterprises. There's enterprise tech. There's enterprise in, uh, uh, in non-tech, like CPG, right? Back in the day. And, and so I'm going to target them. Now, what is the total addressable market? So what is the TAM market size? And we put like a score of five on five. And for tech, enterprise tech at the time, maybe it was three on five. What is the ease of access? These are all hypotheses. You just put a score on five. And what is their propensity to pay? And so we came up with like, you know, enterprise CPG, well, bigger market, more likely to pay, but harder to access. So we started then scraping emails, 1,000, 1,000 people, and started sending cold emails to them and lobbing cold calls and LinkedIn messages to say where the response rate is going to be. And wherever you get a better response rate, then you double down on the outreach there. And then you start doing your customer development there, right? Everything starts with the ideal customer profile. You get the contacts, you optimize. You're not optimizing to sell them anything. You're optimizing them for interest in this problem. And they're going to answer a bunch of questions. Then you go through a phase of asking them questions. I, I like this framework by Neil Rackham because I learned it when I first went in product. It's a sales framework, actually. And I used to tag along with sales guys all the time. It's called spin selling, situation, problem, implication, need, payoff. So I go through this questioning where like, hey, have you ever been in a situation where your customer service agents are inundated and can't respond to queries? And they're like, oh, it happens all the time. Oh, our customer service agents, like at Comcast, head of customer service. And then you ask them implication. What, is it, what happens as a result of this? Oh man, they're so backed up. We can't meet our metrics, um, uh, right? And and so you ask them those problems. What 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 happens? And then what are the implications of those problems? Oh man, we have huge customer churn. Shit, people start swearing at our CEO and Twitter, and then like it comes to my office. Then the need payoff. If you had a magic wand, how would you solve this problem? Like in the perfect world. And then they say. Oh man, if I had a magic wand, I don't know, something that would just respond like automatically, right? And save time when a query comes in. Bingo, if you had this magic wand solution, how much would you pay for it? And then you that's how we came up with the name automatically. And inbound query comes in, we respond like a real there was no concept of chatbots when we started working. But any but um, but anyway, then you run it like a Kickstarter campaign, right? So like that's what I'm saying, startups are building phases. Now, all these people have told you they're interested in this magic wand solution. Great, you have validation. You don't have product market fit yet. You have validation, right? Now your job is to keep them updated every couple of weeks, every couple of weeks. Why? Because by the time you launch your product five, six months later, if they've not heard from you, then it's cold again, right? So you got to keep them updated. Like what do you do in a good sales call? After, after the call, you say, 
Thanks for your time. I really appreciate your feedback. Maybe send them a little gift if you can afford it. But outline, these are the problems you outline, and this is what we're working on. And, and, and that call, you also got commitment that they'll beta it for you. And then you just keep them updated on progress. Then you set up another call maybe for them to look through, click through prototypes. Then you get them into the program, right? But like the reason why I outlined this framework as a founder is what are the things you've learned as a part of this validation process? Because you're a founder doing it yourself. One, you've learned messaging, which is really, really important. Everything is messaging, right? You can, you can um, sort of message the same thing and make it look bad and, and good, right? Like, I mean, look at all the politicians, right? You're learning positioning and messaging and really that can turn your turd into fertilizer, right? It's not about, pol marketing is polishing the turd and the messaging and positioning is, is turning your turd into fertilizer. So the, a few things you've learned here, you've learned really how to do TAM analysis. You've learned how to identify your ideal customer profile. As a part of this, you've also learned how to get the leads list, right? I used Amazon Mechanical Turk first, then I through that I found somebody in India with this Elance Upwork. So you know now how to manage contractors for really cheap in different countries at the validation phase. You got this leads list. Now you've got a cheaper tool like Mixmax. I use Mixmax so much. I'm the model on Mixmax site under <laughs> entrepreneur, right? So so you've learned to do email marketing. You've A/B testing. And, and now you're managing everything either in a Google spreadsheet or your CRM. So you're looking at like how many emails I sent, what was the open rate, what was the response rate, and then you're managing the whole flow of them through beta. So you're learning project management, all of that, right? And so, you know, when you take on that, a skill like that or, or take on an idea, your job is to be a, a master jack of all trades, managing different things and people, trying out things yourself, right? But one of the core skills to have is messaging, communication, right? right? The job of a leader is to build, inspire, and motivate a team. Deliver is the lagging indicator. And, you know, how do you do that? How do you build, inspire, and motivate a team? Communication. It's everything, right? You're pitching PR, pitching VCs, pitching customers, employees to hire, clearly articulating your vision, and mission and values to excite, inspire, and energize people is a job that you need to do day in, day out because people who are excited, inspired, and energized can move mountains, right? So you learn a lot of that in the early days doing that uh, yourself. And that's why I, I put it in the framework of an example. So what are the things I learned? Then from there, when we went to product market fit, I learned, the, and, and also other things I learned through that process working with a small number of developers is wireframe. How do you, there's this great course on Udemy by Janice Fraser, how to build a startup. Um, you learn wireframing. I, I started taking like these just-in-time courses from Udemy and YouTube and HubSpot and everyone else that would just offer like 20, 30 minute tutorials on different things. So how to do wireframing, you learn how to ask spin questions. And so then you learn how to wireframe. Now you can push that to your developers and they know exactly what to code. What is the worst thing? You sit and have a conversation with your developer and they don't know what to build. Right? The best way to build something is you figure out the exact thing you need to build based on the problem. So right, the customer has these problems. This is what they're forced to jangle together because the solution doesn't exist. What are all the steps they're using to get that outcome? How do I eliminate the, all those steps and deliver the right state? Draw that on an, on an A4 8 by 8 paper, 8 screens. Nothing should be more than probably four to eight screens, right? And you give it to your developer, it makes it a calmer conversation to code it, right? So I learned that um, 
learned like customer importance of customer responsiveness. And then over time, as you go through product market fit, then what are you doing as a founder? You're just scaling what you what, what worked for you, right? So for me, outbound outreach was working really well and going to events was working really well. So we just started scaling there. When we hired our first salespeople, they already had the scripts and the messaging that was working and they were just now doing that 100% because now they're not doing wireframing or, or going to events. They're just focusing on sales. They're, now, you know, you were this jack of all, you figured out outbound is working, you bring somebody and they do that dedicated, right? You've learned to playbook a little bit. Um, I learned events really well because we started doing a lot of pizza nights, right? To bring, we, we, sell, we sell to founders. See, here's another framework I'll tell you. It starts with the ideal customer profile. That's the TAM and your ideal customer profile. People ignore this so much. That's the most important exercise you can do. When you have your ideal customer, then you, gotta, you, you, you draw your ICP and then you create spokes. Who do they fund? Who do they follow? Who do they frequent? Who do they fund, meaning what tools do they pay for? Who do they follow, meaning who are the influencers in the space? And who do they frequent? What, what magazines, what blogs, what events they go to? So for us, it was the founder CEO of a technology company. Who do they follow? All the VCs, made a list of all the VCs. Who do they, who do they um, follow? All the tech CEOs. Who do they fund? What tools do they pay for? Stripe and like you know, MongoDB and all of these things, right? HubSpot, et cetera. And who do they frequent? We made a list of all the events and magazines. So now it's easy to build the partnerships. And we're like, oh, it makes sense to start like hosting events. And we were failed founders too. And so we started hosting these events, these pizza nights. These pizza nights turned into Cloud Factory Conference, but somebody ran off with the money. And then you know, we met Ray, we rebranded it to Traction. Now today, Traction has become this massive community. Everything, we hired 100 people at Bose last year without an external recruiter because this mini brand happened. Our big execs from big companies like Lori Schultz joined our board. Why? Because you start to build this mini brand when you build community. So for us, uh, the two things I learned as a key things I learned as a part of being a founder and doing these things myself was one is building community. Um, and two is outreach, manual outreach, outbound. And that's formulated everything, right? The first year of traction, first two, three years of traction, all the speakers are called email, right? Um, but the deeper, deeper meaning behind it is I learned how to communicate to excite and inspire people. And that's cool. the best so skill I, you can have. I want to put a tangible question to, to talking about your traction example here. During the first year of traction, how many speakers did we have? Just, just for context, so, so people know. We had like 30 or so. And so the first year of traction, so. first year of traction, I think I was vacationing in Dubai with my first kid and wife. Um, and uh, we said, we'll do this conference. And, uh, you know, the Cloud Factory, you know, we, we wanted to just continue the community because there was a lot of interest. And, uh, and that Cloud Factory had sort of, we had to part ways with the name Traction. Well, in hindsight, it was the best name possible, right? Like Ray and I were sitting in the Bay Area, came up with it. And there was no budget because we're a bootstrap company. And Launch Academy is a yeah. nonprofit. There was no budget. So I said, you know, let's figure it out. So I built a list of people, the same exact process I did for early customers. You get early customer at Bolst automatically, speakeasy. I scraped a bunch of emails. And, and this is written, there's a blog post on this, a uh, couple of blog posts on these for AppSumo and also HubSpot. I created email scripts and I started reaching out to speakers. Now, here's what happened. They're all big name speakers. All I did was went to Crunchbase, looked at all the list of unicorns back then, got a script, started cold emailing. And, and you need to follow up three or four times, right? With, uh, with new information, not like just checking in. Just checking in is the worst thing ever. New information, <laughs> right? New information. 
And so let me tell you this other secret. Right? Most people, either you're solving their pain, either, either you're solving a big problem for them, or you're making them money, or you're making them look like a rock star. So when it's conference and speakers, you want to make them look like a rock star. Everyone wants to feel good. So we shout to everyone. A lot of people are like, oh, we'll think about it. A lot of people didn't respond. But then a few people said they were interested, like Ryan Holmes and like, you know, Twilio CEO at the time. Like these are all companies that became multi-billion dollar companies later, right? It's 2015. Um, Postmates CEO, Postmates was just got acquired. So I took all those names and I reached out to everyone. Hey, these are the guys that are interested. And you know, when you're scrolling emails on your phone, you, you see what you want to see, you believe what you want to believe. So Marketo CEO confirmed, he's like, oh, he probably thought, like I said, hey, all these guys are interested. He probably thought they'd come. When he confirmed that I, I used his name to reach out to everyone who was interested and they all confirmed. And so like, it's a domino effect, right? Like, and, and it's important to realize that success leads clues and, and, and this domino effect is a key thing. Um, very important is herd theory. You learn in life, right? Social proof and herd theory, the importance of that. People do what other people do and social proof is a big part of it. So we got enough speakers and then I'm like, okay, it chatted with Ray and the conference is like, this is February and the conference was in May. We had three months to find a venue. So popped up Squarespace. We're still using the same site I built on Squarespace back then, like seven, I six, know. seven years. I, I right? recognize that theme very well. <laughs> Let, let's just say I've had my fair share of time with that, that same theme too. <laughs> I, I, exactly. Right? I think it's time, it's time for a change. But so we, uh, we, we did that. And we used Eventbrite or whatever and launched ticket sales over the weekend. And we announced it to our database, collective database launch and boast. And we sold like $50,000 in ticket sales because like we got these, all these big speakers, Twilio, Dropbox, uh, uh, all these names, Postmates, HubSpot, Marketo, boom. And then now we're like, I think we need to find a venue. We couldn't find a venue. This is how bootstrapped, we couldn't find a venue. So Ray... Um, his family is in the event space. And so he found an EDM hall, an electronic dance music hall, an, a giant nightclub over there by the Edgewater, I think, um, right, harbor front. And it's bare bones. They even had a giant screen that was all LEDs, right? It was, it was very, very bare bones. And so his, his cousin is a caterer so for Indian food. So we, we served, like, I think Indian food there. It was a very good experience. Then what ended up happening was... Um, we the venue was to support 200 people like 600 people or something registered so there was it was like a lot of standing room it was like being in a club it was it was crazy i think i can find a picture and, and share from back in the day it was it was so crazy and uh, you know eventually that fomo and social proof of speakers it got so large that we confirmed like 30 speakers. Now imagine, how do you accommodate 30 speakers in, in a day? So the night before we booked another light club and we, we did some talks at that nightclub. Oh, it was so dingy. And then we're like, you know, uh, this- Because you were hindsight... selling them on being a rock star, right? So you got to give them the stage. Yeah, so you got to give them the stage. But then like, how can you, you can't, there's not enough hours in a day to fit that many speakers. <laughs> and so we started the, the sessions at like 8.30 or nine and we ended at six. And we had, we, we came up with this, you know what? What if we shorten the talks? Not do 20, 30 minute talks. Give everyone 15 minutes. 
let them just give the most important tactical takeaways. And that became our like sort of rapid fire talks. And it took off because people have short attention spans. And now we're going in the YouTube shorts and Insta reels. People want like information in 60 seconds, not 60 minutes, right? Um, and so that worked really well. But we're like, how do we hold people to their time? So we said, we'll get a smoke machine. And when they're at 15 minutes, we'll buzz the smoke machine. The stage will go... And the speaker will get startled and the audience will start clapping and they'll get off stage. That worked really well, right? Like everyone was to time, the smoke went off, people started clapping, the speakers like poof, get startled. And then um, evening rolls around, Frederick from TechCrunch is doing um, a session with Meerkat's founder, which was the clubhouse of the day. As soon as they went on stage, the machine started smoking again. And the machine started smoking and everyone's like, Frederick's like, hey, why is Lloyd releasing the smoke? We just went on stage. What had happened? This is how bootstrapped it was. The smoke machine ran out of water and the drapes in the back caught fire. <laughs> so Alex and Ray had to run and, and throw water. And by the way, people, people are wondering why I'm wearing these glasses. I got an eye infection. So uh, <laughs> it wasn't it wasn't just a joke. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't it wasn't it wasn't just a joke. I got I got a I got an uh, eye infection. Uh, I slept in my contacts for like several days straight, which is a bad thing to do. I forgot, and and now I'm suffering for it with this pink eye. <laughs> but yeah, so that that was the that was the journey. And then you know, how do you keep reinventing yourself? COVID hit. We had a conference that was happening. We had to cancel it, and I said. I can't manage a virtual conference. I myself won't attend a virtual conference that is two days of back-to-back hundreds of talks, right? This is very, very stressful. So we reached out to everyone and said, hey, would you hop on webinars? And we started doing two live webinars a week, an hour each. It's more digestible, right? Then yeah. and, and then that gave us content for like almost two years because it kept filling up. And now we're full through the end of this year as well. So that's that's the journey from sort of bootstrap founder that had failed to you know, raising my hand up saying, I need help and advice. Who else needs help and advice? And then starting these pizza nights and evolving from pizza nights into a conference and now into a community of 110,000 people and leveraging that community to do everything from validation, to get early customers, to get our VCs, to connect with the press for Boast. That's been, that's been our two sure. channels. So, so using, you can use traction, you can use automatically. How many actually cold emails or calls did you make approximately? If you can remember at the beginning, man, a hundred, hundreds, hundreds, thousands, maybe, right. You want to get to a point where, um, you, you want to get to a point where you're getting some consistent responses yeah. and you keep testing messages. Right. And so it's a combination of LinkedIn email. My messages in the early days were, hey, uh, you know, uh, you're an expert in the play space. I'm an entrepreneur looking to working on XYZ problem. I'd love to get your advice. I've referenced some quote or something they said, like basically doing unscalable things. Would you be open to spending 15 minutes of your time? I'm not looking to sell you anything. Those are the early messages. And then whatever came out of that, then we turned it into outbound outreach messages today outbound is getting saturated every channel is getting saturated email is still strong you just need to find a way to dis- differentiate on email uh, mm-hmm. and and linkedin is is also really strong you just need to find a better way to differentiate so it's not noise right mm-hmm. how did you kind of and i guess you can use traction how did you handle like rejection for example right let's say there's a speaker that you really wanted right but it's your first time doing this 
Like, are was there any fear at all of you like burning that bridge or asking something that you deem stupid or whatever? Like, how did you deal with that? You know, as a part of going through a number of failures before traction, you sort of develop a thick thing, right? You need to realize one thing. The world generally are well-meaning people. I like to start everyone off here, not here. You know, some people do this, start everyone off here and then they got to work. It's very stressful. Just start everyone here and let them work their way down, right? And, and my wife and friends often tell me that, oh, you've been burnt a lot. I'm like, dude, I may have been burnt like five, 10% of the time, but the mental peace and the friendships and the relationships and the help and the community it's helped me create is humongous, right? And, and so when you do that, you automatically attune yourself to two things. One is generally people are well-meaning, but they're busy and they're irritated and you caught them at a bad time. Second thing is you, you learn to have empathy for other people. I think one of the most important skill sets you can have in business and life is to have empathy, not just listening to somebody, but putting yourself in their shoes and understanding what they're going through so you can go through it with them. And if you have those things and you're like, you know, people tell me all the time right now, even right, like uh, sales team members are these things, oh, this guy was a douchebag or he said X, Y, Z. And I'm like, man, it's in the middle of COVID. You don't know what they're going through, what they've lost, et cetera. Somebody else always has it worse than you, right? Just like dust it off and move on, put yourself in their shoes, right? It's important to have empathy. So I think I think that is a key thing. And when you've seen like, Man, I've been through like the Gulf War, right? I have last year in 2021, I got COVID after a fundraise when we were about to celebrate and I was hospitalized and almost died. Um, I've lost a kid. Um, there's a lot of things that happen in life. Like somebody telling you to fuck off off of a cold email, if you're going to get get <laughs> get your uh, self in a knot over that, come on, man. Like you can't build a company if you don't have a thick skin. You can't build anything, right? You need, to, you need to have a thick skin and not get offended and move on. Because the thing is, um, you become the energy you give out. So, so you go and engage in like negativity. It's just going to consume our life. Just move on, right? Treat, right? treat people who are negative to you with love, right? Like, I'm really sorry. I totally understand. Um, you know, I'm not going to bother you again. Etc. just be nice and just move on, right? You, you gain nothing from engage. You just gain negative. Your whole day goes bad if you engage in negativity. For sure. And just to kind of parlay this into some of, I think some of the things that our founders are thinking when you're entering, could be a new market, could be a new geographic location, could be a new product, or, or like you guys were talking about, you're maybe you're changing from B2B to B2E or something like that. Like what advice do you have for people that are trying to, to reach out to a new market for the first time? Right. Obviously you've got some cold email set up. You ha- you're not, you're not starting from zero, right? Like, I think that's the thing I want to emphasize. We're not creating something net new, but we're, we're changing some things. Like, what would you recommend for, for those types of people as they're trying to, you know, do an experiment through this change? Yeah. So, you know, the one most important thing is, and this is very, very important to realize, you may have product market fit in one thing, but you may be launching a new product or a new market. You can't just throw like targets that, oh, I'm launching in the US now. So my target next year is going to be $2 million from the US from zero. You're never in the US. How can you put an obscene target? Every time you launch something new, you got to go to this validation, product market fit, product channel fit, scale. You got to go through that. You got to go through that cycle. And I know it's frustrating, but if you hire salespeople and say, now go sell in the US just because you're selling it in Canada, um, they're going to go through challenges, right? And you're going to set everyone for disappointment. 
So the job is, okay, let's get five, 10 customers. Let's see, we can understand the nuances of that geo. We can build a list. We can, we can build a targeting framework. Like I talked about the ICP in the center, who they fund, who do they frequent, who do they follow, build relationships there, whether it's hosting events, whether it's doing outbound, whether it's targeting through ads. So you got to build all that framework and see, okay, how many can you get? Um, how many can you keep? And then how many you can grow, right? Um, there's something about visibility, credibility, and then profitability, right? You got to be visible and credible first, and then you'll make some money. But, uh, and, and you got to go through that cycle every single time you have a big new product, unless like it's, it's, it's form factor fit for the geo. So reuse whatever you can, but also keep in mind not to beat yourself if you're not hitting those targets. And the best way is not to hit obscene targets, but to say, okay, you know what? Maybe first three months, time box everything. First three months, we're going to validate. And we need to get 10 customers to see if they're ever interested. Next three months, we're going to, um, increase that cohort of customers. Let's try to see how many more we can get and pay. And let's see how many of them stick around. Now, you may say that, hey, it's a one-year product. How do we know if people stick around? Well, there's leading indicators and lagging indicators. As a founder, I like to look at leading indicators. I, you know, Your ENPS, your NPS, your CSAT, which is like a net promoter score, customer satisfaction score, referrals. Those are all lagging indicators. What are leading indicators? Leading indicators is, have they completed the core actions in your product, right? Um, have they gone, how many of them have gone through onboarding? What is the time to value? How often do they keep coming back to your product? Those are leading indicators. You've got to watch those by cohort, right? This week, I, I signed so many customers. Within how much time did they get time to value, onboard, get the outcome, right? How often are they coming? Like, basically, you got to track the engagement by cohort, by week, um, uh, of, of signing, right? And that's how you know that these guys are going to retain. Everything has a leading indicator. If somebody's not coming to your product and using it, but they've paid for it, you know, they're going to churn at cancellation if somebody notices, right? And, sure. and so your all your efforts should be on getting them the time to value and onboarding. Like, you know, everyone asks me about retention. Oh, retention. But I mean, the key metric to driving retention is good onboarding and time to value. It's like going to, you invite me to your house, I show up there, you're not at the door, there's garbage, I have to jump through hoops, I need to pour myself drinks. That's shitty onboarding, I'm going to leave. But you invite me, I come to your house, you welcome me in, you introduce me to your friends, you pour me a glass of wine, you show me around, that's great onboarding, I'm likely to stick around. Everything online is a manifestation of what happens in person. People have the same, people are, it's the same people. I don't have like an online version and an offline version. They're the same people with the same emotions. It's just my emotions offline are going to get manifested online. And you got to deliver and appeal to those same emotions when you do anything online. Sure. And one of, one of the questions I have in my DMs is, is more related to that. I think it's related to the feedback loop, if I'm saying it right. Um, when you're going out and you're talking to, could be leads, could be customers, whatever. How are you collecting that information and passing it could be your product team, or if you're a small team, it could be just, just your team. Um, the reason I ask that is because I kid you not, I've talked to hundreds of entrepreneurs. So many people have told me, it's like, yeah, I talked to 10 customers. I'm like, what did they say? They're like, they said, okay. I'm like, but that's, that doesn't give you any information. Are they buying? Are they using it? Do they have a problem? Like they're yeah. not really effectively collecting that feedback. Do you have any like tools or tips for how to get that feedback loop going? Yeah, definitely. Let me just pop up and, um, a keynote file here. Maybe I can 
um, share and explain, right? Because um, I do this uh, this talk a lot. That's why I'm like <laughs> on it. <laughs> so here, um, where did it go? Mm. Here, ICP, right? See, so we talked about this, but you know, I create a Google sheet like this for each customer I talk to, right? Who's the customer? What are the outcomes they're looking for? What are the tasks? Like basically job stories. And I may, I can share a link from Intercom or just, go, just Google search job stories, Intercom, jobs to be done framework. Customers looking to get an outcome. How hmm. are they doing those, uh, getting those outcomes today? What tasks they're doing it? What are the unnecessary steps? steps? What are they forced to jangle because you don't exist? And what does the delighted state look like? So you need to record everything, man. You can't like, yeah, they said yes, no. You got to write a story um, on a Google uh, on a Google Doc, and and you know if if you're can't afford a CRM, so let's say you have a Google spreadsheet, you have the company name, the person name, the title, the location, the geo, right? You have all of that, and then you link. I link the Google Doc notes from this, so we can reference. Now you may have a lot of budget, then you use like something like Gong to record it so you can track emotion and locomotion and lose motion. <laughs> other, other creepy things that, that give you information. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then, then that ties directly to your CRM. But I couldn't afford to have a CRM and Bong and all of this till we raised our Series A. So I did this. This is the way I did it. I had a series of questions. I made sure it answered. And then, and then what happens is you get like 10, 20, 30. I would say like I like to do, before I really dive into an idea, I really like to talk to at least 100 people that fit that exact ideal customer profile, at least 100 mm-hmm. people. Five, 10 people is not enough. And a lot of people say, oh, it's a small TAM. And all. Every TAM increases, right? Look at Facebook. If you said their TAM was Ivy League schools, Facebook wouldn't be a trillion-dollar company. Mm-hmm. You, you build a big company by going through this, this again, this phases, right? Is you got the early adopters or innovators, and then like early adopters, early majority, the crossing the chasm. But you build a big company because your, your target market is not the market you're serving today. You're, like your, your TAM, your total addressable market is not the market, market you're serving today with any technology, right? It is what the world will become as a result of the work you're doing. Right? Like Twilio's market is not like you know developers building apps to put telecommunications, like when they started, they went to a handful of developers. Today, the whole world, everyone is a developer. Everyone is building apps, right? So the world changes as a result of your one purpose. What is your purpose? Your why? Why do you do what you're doing? Like it's your forever, right? Why does the company exist? Why do I come into work every day? The why? Um, Your vision. What will the world look like as a result of me acting on this purpose? Your mission, what do I do day in, day out to achieve that um, that vision and deliver on that purpose? And the last thing is your values. Every waking moment, how do I behave? Right? Because there's an evil way to doing things and there's a non-evil way to doing things. Right? Like, so I'll, I'll put it in the framework of both. So um, our purpose, our why, is we want to help, we want to accelerate innovation in the world. And it's a forever thing. You can never accelerate innovation enough, right? You can always accelerate innovation more. And Elon Musk says this, innovation itself is not enough. 
the rate of innovation is more important because otherwise, you know, you won't grow. So we want to accelerate innovation in the universe, right? That's the purpose. That's why we come to work every day. That's why. And, um, and, and, you know, if tied to that is every dollar spent in innovation returns 20 to the universe from vaccines to robots, to clean drinking water is a function of innovation. Yet in the last 15 years, more than 50% of the fortune 500 companies have evaporated because they haven't, the rate of innovation slowed down. So our why is we want to accelerate the rate of innovation. Our mission is to enable innovators to become successful, right? Uh, our, our, sorry, our vision is to enable innovators to become successful. Um, and so the world, as a result of our why, is there's more innovation, there's more empowering, more innovative founders to build world-changing companies, right? And then you look at your mission, how you do that, is we want to be the best company, the best human company that helps businesses leverage their technical and financial data to fund to to basically fund their innovation and invest in more ROI driving projects right mm-hmm. so that comes r&d tax credits funding of r&d tax credits and intelligence around the r&d who to hire where to invest and what and so then our values are what how we behave every day empathy right teamwork Success, no great success is the outcome of one. It's many. Uh, it's integrity. It's leadership, passion, right? That people can accomplish more with passion than experience, those kinds of things. So I'm just giving you that framework of thinking because that's really important. It's not important probably as much when you're like a handful of people sitting uh, in a room hacking together. But as you build a scalable company, we went from 20 people, 25, 30 people one year to 120 people. It's really important to have that framework, right? Like if you go back to saying uh, to what I said in the beginning, your single most important thing as a founder is communication, clearly articulating your vision, your purpose, your vision, your mission, your values to excite, inspire, and energize people. You got to do this day in, day out because people who are excited, inspired, and energized can move mountains. If they just feel like, if they feel like they're a cog in the wheel, then they're just going to go through the motions, right? If you look at NASA, I think there's an urban legend. I don't know if it's true, if it's fake, but the president went to NASA and he saw a janitor late at night. He's like, what are you doing? And he's like, well, sir, I'm putting a man on the moon. And that's very powerful, right? Everyone needs to feel that they are contributing to the big vision. They are contributing to the purpose. That's why they come in day in, day out. Why? I'm accelerating innovation, right? Uh, I'm not like here to file a bunch of R&D tax credits to get innovation <laughs> funding, right? So that's 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 how you think about it. Because you know, if you could take away one thing from this call, it's learn to communicate clearly to excite, inspire, and energize people. Fair enough. So, so, um, the hours actually flowing by, I could probably keep you here for another one. Um, but I, I want to kind of end this off with this because like we talked a lot about community. We talked a lot about cold outreach. We talked about building community around people. I want to flip the script, right? Like usually you're on the side of, of my seat where you're interviewing interviewing different entrepreneurs. So it's kind of cool that I get to see you on this side as well, right? Um, but for people listening, maybe they want to meet you. Maybe they want to pitch you on something. Maybe they want to sell you. Maybe they want to buy your stuff. I don't know, right? What should they do so that they can eventually become part of Lloyd Lobo's network? I'm, you know, I love helping people, man. 
So if I can and I have the time, um, you know, reach out. And, and there's a lot of resources, right? There's Traction. You go to tractionconf.io, and I don't know when was the last time the website's updated, but we do two webinars a week. Just go to bostai forward slash events and, and register for an upcoming event or go to Launch Academy and register for an upcoming event. On, on the Traction Twitter, I think there's some stuff. Go to the Traction um, Twitter or Facebook or, or LinkedIn group, whatever one, and you'll see it. Yeah. So, so at the time of recording, I think on uh, just yesterday, we had uh, someone from Amanda, Amanda Mulko for CMO of G2.com who joined us yesterday. Um, but you know, when you guys are listening to this, it might be a much later time. So just go check out the, the Twitter, twitter.com slash tractionconf underscore IO. Um, and that'll give you the latest events, but, um, the conference I've been asked this a lot. So I kind of want to make that announcement or from your, from your mouth, like it is on this year, right? In person. Yes. It's on this year, August 10th and 11th. Perfect. Cool. All right. Thanks so much, Lloyd, for, for your time. Really appreciate it. Had a lot of fun kind of going through the stories. I think we might need to do this live when you're in back and down and in Vancouver um, and we can give the, the full story of the first traction fire. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Awesome. And thanks for pointing this, uh, this Twitter stuff. Uh, we have one coming up uh, on, uh, we, we have a session coming up tomorrow. Let me just drop the link for that. Um, for give sure. me one second. It's on building scalable engineering teams. And I'm, uh, um, a lot of all your valuation or most of your valuation is tied to building scalable, repeatable technology product and engineering. And so we're going to talk about that here. So go to that. For sure. All right. Thank you, everybody, for your time. And thank you again, Lloyd, for, for joining us. Um, we'll see you again next week. Uh, just make sure if, you, if you're a member here, stay tuned to your Slack for, for messages on uh, how to sign up for the next talk. Uh, if you're listening to the podcast here, just go check us out at launchacademy.ca um, and see how you can get involved. Thanks, everybody. Love and peace. Peace.